Thank you, Warren, for that appetizer. Good evening. It's good to be with you again this evening. And first of all, I want to commend you. It is revival meetings. A week of revival meetings is a lot of work. And God bless you for your faithfulness in coming. I hope you have been blessed. I have been. Tonight I want you to imagine something. I see some young children, infants, in the audience tonight. If I were to take an infant and put the infant up over here, and then take that infant's father or mother and put them over here, you would see a similarity, probably, between the father and son or mother and daughter. We see similarities. The infant is small and helpless, has limited knowledge, limited understanding, limited reasoning. The adult, on the other hand, is full-grown, can reason, can think, can speak, can express themselves in a much different way than the infant can. The Bible compares the beginning of the Christian life to a new birth, being born again. Turn with me to John chapter 3. It's interesting to think about how when, an, when a person repents and accepts Christ into their life, a brand new life is formed. brand new spiritual life is formed. John chapter 3. Follow along with me as I read the first nine verses. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do those miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Nicodemus was puzzled by the teaching here of being born again. This is a brand new concept. Never never thought of by, by him before. And I'm sure he looked at being born again as a setback in life. And I can understand why. You look at who Nicodemus was. The first verse says a man named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He had proved himself... He had gone beyond many of his peers in his understanding, in his prestige, in his position. He was somebody. And now Jesus is saying, if you want spiritual life, you need to be born again. And I'm sure he's, he's picturing 
a squalling, this squalling help, helpless infant over here that is at the very beginning of life, can do nothing for himself, starting at the very beginning. But you know, that's what happens. It doesn't matter what kind of an upbringing you've had. When you come to Christ, that's where you begin. There are no shortcuts. You start as an infant. We repent, we change the direction of our lives, and then we empty ourselves of everything that we had and allow God to fill us with his goodness and his joy and his purpose. We live life according to his direction. Now we look at children and we see an infant and they grow into a toddler and then a younger child and then an, an adolescent and then an adult and we watch growth. If I would leave here and come back in two years, I would see a big difference in the children, in growing up. Physical growth is natural. But in the same way, spiritual growth needs to be as natural to the Christian as physical growth is to the physical body. There's a young girl named Gabrielle Williams, and she is six years old. How many of you are six tonight? Is there any six-year-olds? Raise your hand high if you're six. Anybody six? Looks like there's some that are close to six. All right. It seems like she has been a newborn forever, and she kind of has. Each of her three siblings were born, and they grew into toddlers and then developed into older children, but she stayed the same. The average six-year-old is about 46 pounds and four feet tall. Gabrielle Williams is 10 pounds and 24 inches long, which is what, about the size of a two-month-old maybe? That's how big she is, 10 pounds, 24 inches long, and that is her full-grown size. She's six years old. Her condition is so rare, there's only about six known cases in the world. There's no medical name for her condition, so they call them Benjamin Button babies. That's what they're called. Very rare condition. Nicky Freeman is another one. He's a little bit bigger, but he, he hasn't grown beyond the size of a grade school student, even though he eats twice as much as the average full-grown adult. That is how big he will get. There are other children, and I'm sure some of you know of children that have had delays in their growth or in their development. But what do parents do? Parents that see children with delays in their growth or development take action. We go to the doctor, we'll change their diet to get them different nutrition, go to a specialist, we will do whatever we need to do to get that child to grow as naturally and as normally as we can, right? As parents, that's what we do. You can probably tell where I'm going with this. What do we do if we see a lack of growth spiritually? Physical growth is easy to see. We see height, height changes, increasing in understanding, as children grow, they learn to read, 
They learn to associate with other children, understanding and reasoning. Physical growth is easy to see over time. Spiritual growth is a little bit more tricky. How do you define spiritual growth or how do you discern it? Edward Yoder puts it this way. He says, spiritual growth is progressing to ever higher goals of experience, knowledge, grace, faith, understanding, and appreciation. I think that captures it pretty good. Spiritual growth is progressing to ever higher goals of experience, knowledge, grace, faith, understanding, and appreciation. As we look at spiritual growth in the life of a Christian, no one is exempt. So if you're thinking you're off the hook tonight, you aren't. Spiritual growth is necessary for every single person who is a Christian. We tend to think that people who have been a Christian for a long time, they're well established in the faith and growth isn't that big of a problem or a, a, a big of a deal. That's not true. Some of you here have been Christians for one year, five years, ten years, maybe 40, 50 years. No one is exempt from the need to progress and to grow in their spiritual life. Is there a certain place? I should have asked this question first. Is there a certain time where we reach spiritual maturity and we maintain our spiritual life? You've heard the term maintaining. Are you maintaining a vibrant spiritual life? I don't like that phrase. I don't think maintenance has any place in the Christian life. To maintain means I'm happy where I am and I'm going to keep it there. And that has no place in a Christian life. Christianity needs to be growing. Our spiritual life needs to be growing and we need to be progressing to ever higher goals of experience, knowledge, grace, faith, understanding, and appreciation. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says, Whom we preach, speaking of Christ, Paul is saying, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Now catch this. He says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. That doesn't sound like maintenance to me. He says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working. And if we would think of anybody in the Bible, aside from Jesus, that could have maintained a spiritual life, we'd say it's Paul. But he didn't. He realized, he said, I am working towards this. I'm striving. He says, whereunto I also labor, striving, according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. In many of his letters, Paul gives different areas of the Christian life that need to be continually growing, he breaks it down and gives specific areas that we need to grow in. And I want to look at a few of them tonight. There's four areas. Very quickly, before we move on, and I'd, I'd ask you to turn with me to these. I think it's good to follow along if we can, to read the words rather than just hear them. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. 
Philippians 1 verses 9 and 10. And as, we, as I read this, follow along and look for where, what, he's, what he's asking us to grow in. What area and what it, what it means. And then, at the same time, look at your own life and see how you measure up. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. There's two things in those verses. That your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Then the next verse says that ye may approve things that are excellent. What does that mean? For our love to abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That our love, to whom? It doesn't say. But I think it could be our love your love to your spouse, your love to your children, your love to your church, and of course, your love for God may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Or what that means is to display greater depth of discernment in your love. Different ways to love. That we would have a growing and a keener recognition of things that are excellent. A growing and keener recognition of things that are excellent. That's growth. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. And this is not an exhaustive list that I'm going over here. These are just a few that I picked up. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 says, Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet. Now here's where he talks about growth. Because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you toward each other aboundeth. Has your faith been growing exceedingly? He's telling the church here, your faith has grown exceedingly, and because your faith has grown, your love for each other has grown. As a result of your faith growing. The next two passages are fairly close together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Verse 1 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Verse 1 says, Laying aside all malice. How are we doing with malice? We don't have malice, okay. How are we doing with guile? How about hypocrisies? Envies, evil speakings. Spiritual growth is laying these things aside and desiring, making a conscious effort to lay these things aside and making a conscious effort to hunger after the things of God. Now, Second Peter, chapter 3.
Second Peter three seventeen and eighteen. says ye therefore beloved seeing ye now seeing ye know these things before beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness verse 18 but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to him be glory both now and forever amen as we looked at these just a small fraction of the things we need to grow in how did you do how much do you have to show for the amount of time that you have been a Christian? How much growth do you have to show? And this isn't a fair question, but it makes you think. Does your spiritual growth change? Has it changed? Has it grown and, I guess, improved as much as your physical growth has in the last These verses in 2 Peter give us a reason why we grow. It says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. It says we grow in the knowledge of our Lord to draw close to Him and understand the heart of God is why we grow in the knowledge of Him. And in doing that, it says to Him be glory both now and forever. That's the purpose of growing, to grow in the knowledge of Him, to know the heart of God, to be able to discern His will. And in doing that, we bring Him glory. That is why we grow. I'd like to look at the basis for spiritual growth and maturity, but before we do that, we need to recognize a few characteristics or marks of spiritual immaturity. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. The last part of Hebrews 5 mentions several marks of spiritual immaturity or lack of growth in the life of a believer. Hebrews 5, I'll begin reading at verse 11, and we'll read through the first verse of chapter 6. Hebrews 5:11. Of whom we have many things to say. The writer of Hebrews here is explaining the high priestly duties of Jesus how Jesus is our high priest. So verse 11, Of whom we have many things to say, or we have many things to say about Jesus, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when, for the time, ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. The first mark that I want to look at of spiritual immaturity is dullness toward the word. And I want to make a difference here between spiritual immaturity and a young Christian. 
A young Christian can be spiritually immature, which is fine for a time. But this passage is directed to Christians who are should be more established. They have been a Christian for a longer time, and they are spiritually immature. It says they have dullness toward the word. There have been a lot mentioned in the previous chapters about Jesus and how he, the priesthood of Jesus, and it's saying there, I have a lot more to say about this, but it's difficult to explain because you are dull of hearing. And what does dullness of hearing mean? It means they are lazy or they're sluggish in their understanding. That's what dullness of hearing means. Lazy or sluggish in understanding. To grow as a Christian, these three things have to take place. You have to hear the word, you have to receive it, and then you have to act on it. It's that simple. Three things. You have to hear it, you have to receive it or take it into your, into your heart. Hearing and listening are two different things. I think most of the women could agree with me on that. You need to hear it, you need to receive it or listen to it, and then you need to act on it. Dullness of hearing is the inability to hear, receive, and act on it. In contrast, listen to this verse in 1 Thessalonians 2. It says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. All three of those things are mentioned in there. Did you notice that? It says you heard it, you received it, you didn't receive it just as the word of men, but you received my teaching. This is Paul, he's saying you received my teaching as though it were from God. You heard it, you received it, and then it says which effectually worketh also in you that believe. It's working out in your everyday life then. That's in contrast to the dullness of hearing that we're talking about. 2 Timothy 3.7 describes a good example of dullness of hearing. It says, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you know what that means? Ever hearing but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. It means we were hearing what God is saying through his people, we're hearing it, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth or never being able to apply it to our lives and never acting on it. That's what's happening to these people in Hebrews. They're, they're ever learning, they're, they're, they're hearing, but they're not coming to the knowledge of the truth or they're not applying it to their hearts. And here's where I'm afraid it gets a little bit close to home. We are ever hearing we are ever hearing because we we are many of us are faithful church attendees we're ever hearing are we coming to the knowledge of the truth we're hearing are we receiving and then acting on it secondly it says they can't handle solid spiritual food verse 12 of chapter 5 here it says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. And then it explains in verse 13 that weak, immature Christians or young Christians, they need milk. Like an infant, they can't handle the heavy meat. This book has both. 
They were having to be taught the simple things or the basics of Christianity over and over again, unwilling to apply the deeper teachings. And if they can't apply it, there's no recourse other than to teach the basic things again and again and again. Verse 13 says, unskillful in the word, knowing what is right but unskillful in doing what is right. And again, this is similar to, the, to what I mentioned earlier, but we are in danger of this. Knowing what is right, but struggling to do what is right. The problem is we know what is right, but something in my unyielded nature, I'm unwilling to give up whatever it is, and it keeps me from doing what is right. Maybe I'm involved in something not maybe bad, but something that I know I would be better off spiritually if I would not do whatever it is that I'm doing or I would not associate with whoever it is or I would not do this certain activity or I wouldn't have these acquaintances. Whatever it is, I would be better off maybe if I wouldn't do this, but... And we throw that little word in there. Something in my nature says, but I'm bigger than that. I can overcome that. And we can't. You can't. That's being unskillful in the word. Unable to handle solid spiritual food. I keep on doing whatever it is that I'm doing because I'm not willing to give it up. I hear over and over and over and I'm unwilling to act on it. And so what happens is I am stuck. I am stuck in my Christian life and I cannot grow. Victory is a stepping stone in our spiritual growth. And if we don't act on what we know, we won't grow. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. The writer is telling them, you need to move on from these foundational teachings that you're being taught again and again and again and again and again, but you can't move because you aren't applying what you already know. He's saying, quit laying this foundation again and again. Don't abandon it, but build on it. That's, the, that's what a foundation is for, to be built upon. He's saying, don't abandon it, but build on it. Don't keep laying it again and again. Let's move on and grow as I was meditating on that thought, why, why are they laying this foundation again and again and again? What is it about them or what is it about us that we have that tendency to want to learn, to want to hear the same things again and again and again without acting on it? Why do we need to lay these foundations again and again? Why were they doing that? The conclusion I came to is it was a comfortable place to be. It was easy. Their faith was not being stretched. They weren't having to do anything uncomfortable in their spiritual life, which is a comfortable place to be. I like being there. But you don't grow when you're there. I think that's what it was. They were comfortable. 
I mentioned this last night, but the more you know, the more you learn, and the more you know as a Christian, the more you are responsible for. That's a sobering thought. The more you know, the more you're responsible for. Is it too much to say that we're also responsible for what we should know? Now I'd like to look at some of the steps to becoming spiritually mature. To grow spiritually. Sometimes it's easy to fall into a maintenance mode in Christianity. Where we go through a real time of growth. We feel we're close to God. And it's easy to just fall into this maintenance mode where we feel that there's an open channel between God and me. It's an open channel where he is just filling me with his attributes. But it's not that easy. It would be nice if it was that easy, but that's not how easy it is. It takes action. It takes work on our part to keep that channel between God and me open. Five things. Here I go again. Five points in the middle of my sermon. Five things. that are important for growth as a Christian. And these are simple things. They may seem like little pat answers, but they are important. The first one is feeding on God's Word. Turn with me to Psalm 119. It sounds simple and it sounds elementary, and it is. Growth is not... They aren't complex principles. It's not complex things that we need to be doing. Psalm 119... Verse 9. Feeding on God's word. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments which are found in God's word. Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes which are found in his word. With my lips have I declared all thy judgments of thy mouth which are found in God's word and have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies which are found in his word. I will meditate on thy precepts which are found in his word and have respect unto thy ways which we find in God's word. I will delight myself in thy statutes which we find in God's word. And will not forget thy word. Does that leave any doubt how important it is to feed on the word of God for our spiritual growth? Feeding on God's word will help us know the heart and the mind of God. Get to know him, to discern his will. And he will show us the areas we need to change. Secondly is prayer. Turn with me to Luke 11. Luke 11, 9 through 13. 
And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If the son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will you give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Imagine there was a man who had $5 million in his bank account. And he withdrew a penny a day because he didn't want to deplete his bank account. And we think, well, come on. That's, you're going to get, even with interest rates as low as they are, you're going to get more than that with $5 million in there. But you know, that's what we do with prayer. We have got a vast storehouse of resources available to us and we find ourselves withdrawing a penny a day. That's not how we grow. Withdrawing a penny a day from that vast storehouse of resources that God will give us. Hebrews says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly before God's throne. What I fail to remember on a practical way now, what I fail to remember in prayer is prayer is communication between me and God. And you think, well, we know that. We do, but why is it so often a monologue from me to God? That's not what prayer is meant to be. It's not meant to be a monologue of me just talking to God. It needs to be communication. And that takes time and it takes effort. It takes... And I think maybe today it's harder than it ever was in our, with our busyness of life, but getting rid of the clutter in our minds so that we can truly hear God. And it's going to take time. It takes discipline and it takes time, but it's communication between me and God. Me bringing my thanksgiving and my praise and my requests to him. But then it's being quiet and just listening. How else can God show us what he has for us? The third thing we need so we can grow as a Christian is fellowship with God's people. Feeding on God's word, prayer, and fellowship with God's people. Hebrews 10 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. That is written for us right now, because the day is approaching. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. There is a beautiful thing in brotherhood of the encouragement that you receive being approachable, being confrontable, worshiping together, encouraging one another. And there's tremendous safety in the brotherhood. I believe there is tremendous spiritual danger in an attitude of independence. There is tremendous safety in the decisions or the encouragement of a united group of spirit-filled brethren or a, a church. Tremendous safety in that. 
And when you step outside of that and you're saying, I know better than what everyone else is saying, you better have seen some handwriting on the wall and have had some witnesses. There's, that independent spirit is incredibly dangerous. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship. Fourth step to Christian growth is to submit to Christ in a life of obedience. I forgot to mention there's two things that we need to have in our hearts before any of these five things. We need to be pliable. We, we see the example in Scripture of the potter and the clay being shapeable and moldable. And our hearts need to have good soil. Those two things have to be present. And here's in submitting to Christ in a life of obedience is where we need to be moldable and pliable and shapeable. I came across a little reading in regards to submitting our life to Christ in obedience. It says, Ye call me master and obey me not. Ye call me light and see me not. Ye call me the way and walk not. Ye call me life and desire me not. Ye call me wise and follow me not. Ye call me fair and love me not. Ye call me rich and ask me not. Ye call me eternal and seek me not. Ye call me gracious and trust me not. Ye call me noble and serve me not. Ye call me mighty and honor me not. Ye call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. God's word and his commands are not situational and they are not meant to be taken as suggestions like we so often do. Because God's ways are greater than my ways, I am not going to understand everything that he is asking of me. But I need to, in faith, realize that he has my best in mind. In Luke it says, if, a, if an earthly father knows how to good, give good gifts to his children, surely God knows how to give good things to us. And I, I may not understand everything, and I don't understand everything. It's probably good that we don't. But that doesn't minimize the need for obedience, to submit to him in obedience and trusting that he does have our best in mind. Fifthly, and this one is probably the most difficult to wrap our heads around, our spiritual growth is dependent upon our response to what we consider adversity. And this one is hard. Many of you have been through what you would consider and what we would consider adversity. There are tough things in life. There are things in my life that I consider adversity, that have been tough. But spiritual growth is many times dependent on our response to that. James 1 says, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And this doesn't mean temptations like we think of it. It means temptations or difficult times, trials. Count it all joy when you fall into these trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. How do you respond in difficult times 
remember that you are a child of God. And Paul says nothing can separate us from his love. There's one thing that can and that's you. You can separate yourself. You can remove yourself from God. But nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, the love of Jesus, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. From the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He didn't leave anything out in there. There's nothing missing. Nothing can separate you from his love. Remember that. Because you will face adversity. If you haven't, you will. You will face difficult times. But you are a child of God. He has your best in mind and nothing can separate you from his love. Job 23 says, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And that's, that is God's goal. For you to come forth as gold. And you know the process that gold has to go through. It needs to be tried in the fire to take the impurities out of it. I like that parallel to our life. There, there will be difficult times. And we, we won't understand them all. Howard Bean has often said, God's grace keeps pace with whatever you face. And that's true. I like that. God's grace keeps pace with whatever you face. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That is the only way the power of God can be shown. If we have strength on our own, the, the power and the strength of, of God can't shine through us if we think we have it on our own. Five things necessary for spiritual growth. It's feeding on his word, prayer, fellowship with believers, a life of obedience, and how we respond to adversity. That last one, on how we respond to adversity, I, I haven't probably responded the way I should have many times that I've faced difficult times, but I can think of several instances where, looking back, some of them were a big deal, some of them weren't, maybe. And those have been times of tremendous growth for me where I can honestly pour my heart out to God in tears and in, in humility and whatever all goes with that. And that's when God reaches down and he can just pick you up and that's when growth happens in your life. You, you make another step closer to him. Spiritual growth occurs when you recognize the difference between right and wrong and then you choose the right. There's a phrase in a song that says, each victory will help you some other to win. And that, in essence, is what growing spiritually is. Each victory will help you some other to win. 
like to close with a verse from Second Peter. It says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen.